0: Genesis chapter 12 will be one of our texts that we'll be looking at this morning. If you are here on Wednesday, you know that Clay Bethay stole my thunder from what I was going to preach. Uh, and this is what Clay wrote in, in part of my sermon. But I decided that he uh, didn't do a good enough job, so I'm going to preach it anyways. That's, uh, Mr. Clay told me to say that. So, uh, all, all, all joking aside, we're going to look at the scriptures this morning. We're going to ask a question. We'll hopefully have an answer by the end of our time that we have this morning. Genesis chapter 12 will be part of our text in the Old Testament. If you want to turn and mark uh, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9 and verse 6 will be another part. There is and there always has been, and I want to, I want to stress that, there always has been since this nation's Uh, And by this nation, I'm talking about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, there's always been speculation about their return as God's special chosen people. Um, In in recent history, and I say recent in terms of 4,000 years, in recent history, 1948, uh, we had a a nation state declared. May 14th, 1948, um, Post-World War II, uh, the nation of Israel was established in what we call Palestine. I'm not going to talk politics this morning, but we're going to look at what the Word of God says about uh, this people. God did choose Israel as His people and made them a great nation as per His plan and as per His promise. I want to make that very clear. God did call the nation of Israel to be His people. The question that we're going to ask, though, is, are they still God's chosen people? And are they still a nation with, with, God ha- with which God has special and miraculous help like they once enjoyed? Much of the teaching that comes from this comes from the doctrine that's called premillennialism. Um, if you've not heard of that doctrine, it is, um, it is most certainly a false teaching. What it, what it talks about is the idea that there are things... Promised in the Bible that have not come true yet, and the only way that they can, we can and this is before the thousand years, since pre-millennialism. This idea flies flat in the face of many things that we see. It goes contrary to what Jesus himself t- taught, saying that his kingdom is not of this world, that he comes to renew and to do away with the old and bring in something new. So let's look at some things about what is being taught. So who are God's chosen people? Hopefully we can answer this question this morning. Some of the things that are being taught is that the promise to Abraham was unconditional. Some of the things being taught is that the literal fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that we're about to read in just a second has not come true yet. And some other things that are being taught is that the promises cannot be spiritually fulfilled in the church. We'll see this morning that all three of these are false. Your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 12. Let's read this promise that God made to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, or to Abram, excuse me, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing." I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so the Lord departed, uh, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram goes about following after God. This promise that's made to Abraham we first see in these couple of chapters. Turn over a few to G- uh, Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to see that this land promise that's first mentioned here, To a land that I will show you. I'll make a great nation bless you. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 and look in verse 18. The promises that God made to Abraham was to leave his homeland, Ur of the Chaldees, and go around the fertile crescent, go over through Mesopotamia, and come into the land of Canaan. That's Israel. That's Palestine. That's what we're talking about. That land right there. That God would make of Abram a great nation and that in him all the nations shall be blessed. But here's the land promise. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. On the same day uh, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt, the Nile, to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephram, the Ammonites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. And if you look over a few chapters later in chapter 17 and verse 8, he talks about this land being an everlasting possession. And I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. We're going to talk about what that word everlasting means. Everlasting possession, and I will be their God. We tend to read over those statements that say, I will be their God. Well, yeah, God, we know that you will be their God. That's, that's the whole point of this thing. That's a very important phrase right there. Because as soon as God stops, or they think God stops being their God, these promises are null and void. We're going to catch that later on. The land promise became a covenant. It's, it's later renewed to Isaac and Jacob. We can read that in Genesis chapter 26. There's a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands and will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And in Genesis chapter 28, we see that same thing, that same promise renewed to Jacob. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples, and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. What we're going to begin to see is that these promises that God is making to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants will be called the nation of Israel. Remember, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. That's why they're called Israelites. These promises are twofold in nature. These promises are physical promises. Yes, they were to get a land. But there's some spiritual promises there too. And so God is setting the tone saying that He's not only thinking physical promises. Yes, He will have many descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we see that. They have many descendants. But it's also spiritual. There's a land. That's physical as well. But then all the nations of the earth shall be blessed after Him. Well, Is is everyone rich? Does everyone have exactly what they want to have? Well, it can't be physical then. All the nations shall be blessed through this promise. So let's get into the fulfillment of the land promise. The land was received. Go to Acts chapter 7. Many times in the book of Acts... um, I don't have it marked, but I did turn right there to it in one flip. I like when that happens. Um... Many times in the book of Acts, we'll have sermons that are given, and they recount the story of Israel. They recount the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's look at this first one, Acts chapter uh, 7 and verse 5. God gave him no inheritance of it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. And when the time of promise drew near which God had sworn to Abraham. The people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Read that phrase carefully. When the time of promise drew near, that means that the time of the fulfillment of the promise was nigh. And sometimes when we read that, we'll say, okay, well, that's still a thousand years off. No, he's talking about within generations, that promise was going to be fulfilled. If you skip on down to verse 17, but when the time of the promise drew near which Abraham had sworn to Jacob, or had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. And we know the rest of the story, those of us that are Bible students. Joseph is able to help his brothers out, and they get a part of the land. And then they are enslaved in Egypt. And then remember the plagues that come on? The plagues come about and then the people leave Egypt. Pharaoh says, yes, go, and then they chase them, they cross the Red Sea, and then they wander for a time because they didn't follow after God, as God would have them to do. That's going to be a trend with the nation of Israel. And then they finally enter into the land. That's that same land that we're talking about, the land that was promised to Abraham. Joshua chapter 21 is, is, comes about after all of these things. The people have entered into the land. They have partaken in a conquest of the land by by acting on what God has told them to do. Joshua chapter 21 and verse, verse 45. Let's start in verse 43. The Lord gave to Israel all the land of which He had sworn to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. Well, what did he swear to their fathers? To give them a land, to make them a great people. There's one left. And through, all the, through Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed. That one hadn't come to pass yet at this point in time. But the physical promises had. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. All came to pass. But let's turn a couple chapters over. So they've received the land. The land promise has now been fulfilled whenever Joshua and the Israelites take over the land of Canaan. That land promise has been fulfilled. But their keeping it is conditional. Their keeping of that land is conditional. And we're going to read some of those conditions. Joshua chapter uh, 23 and verse 16. There's many other verses on the slides. Please uh, write those down. Study this on your own. Um, What's on the slide I thought would be good just to have my outline. Um, Typically I do just big bullet points. But for this this lesson I wanted us to have some uh, more key verses to go to on your own time. Joshua chapter 23 and verse 16. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. The land promise has been fulfilled, but God sets a condition, says that you will lose this land if you turn away from me, if you do what I do not tell you to do, if you go against my commandments. Not one thing failed In that promise, the boundaries that were promised, we see show back up in Solomon's day. Go to First uh, First Kings chapter four, verse twenty-one. First Kings chapter four and verse twenty-one. Remember the boundaries that were promised to Abraham: the river of Egypt, the Nile to the Euphrates. Some of us get caught up in that because we're we're thinking, okay, well, the land of Israel, the land of Palestine, the land of Canaan—that's just that between the Jordan. That's that little sliver right there, right? Notice what 1 Kings 4 and 21 says, So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river, that's the river Euphrates, to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. Doesn't that sound familiar? As far as the border of Egypt, and they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. There's our fulfillment. There's our full fulfillment of what was promised to Abraham. God is not slack in his promises. Let's look at Genesis chapter 17. We're going to look at a couple of arguments that are made. There's an argument that's made saying, given to thee and thy seed after thee. We'll notice that Abraham didn't possess the land he wandered. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 5, And God gave him no inheritance of it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession as to his descendants. And so we see that the seed aspect of the promise is very important because Abram received the promise through his seed. Acts chapter 7 and verse 17 tells us. But when the time of the promises drew near, God, uh, which had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. It's his seed that partakes of that. I mentioned the, the idea of everlasting. Let me turn back to Genesis um, 17. The, this, this word everlasting, this word. Um, forever has a very specific meaning in the Old Testament. I give to you your sentence uh, after you in the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. This word everlasting comes up many times. What it means in the idea of forever is age-lasting. So when we think of age lasting, there there are points in time in which the age will stop. And and I'm not trying to be mystical or anything like this, but we know that the time of the law came to an end. That age stopped, and Jesus came about and brought brought us a new law. And so that was the end of that age. The same word is used in other places. We see it in um, Genesis 17, verse 13, with circumcision. He who is born in your house and he who is brought with you money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Well, we read in Romans, we read in uh, Paul's letters, the circumcision is done away with. It was for a previous age, but that same word is used. The Passover, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 14, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. A forever ordinance? Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 4, it might be just the the plainest one. It says the earth is everlasting. The earth will be forever. One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Does the earth abide forever? Or does the earth abide until the end of the age, until its purpose has been fulfilled? We see the land saying it will be there forever, everlasting, until the age ends. The land promise served a purpose. It fulfilled its purpose. Circumcision served a purpose. It fulfilled its purpose. The earth will serve its purpose and fulfill its purpose. That's why that word is used. But remember, the keeping of the land was conditional. We read in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 16 that it was transgressions would cause them to lose it. Failure to keep the commands, we can read in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 29, and 30. Failure to keep the commands would have them lose the land. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 19, let's turn there. Jeremiah chapter 19 tells us that the land was to be broken and never put together because they were ending or coming to the end of that age. Jeremiah chapter 19, let's look in verse uh, 7 to begin. And I will make void the counsel of Judah and Jerusalem in this place. I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hands of those who seek their lives. Their corpses I will give as meat for the birds of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. I will make this city, Jerusalem, desolate and a hissing. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss because of it, all its plagues. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege and in the desperation with which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair." Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Even so I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot be made whole again. And they shall bury them in Trophot till there is no place to bury. Thus I will do this to this place, says the Lord, and to its inhabitants and make this city like Tophet." And the house of Jerusalem and the house of the kings of Judah shall be defiled like the place of Tophet, because all of the houses on the, whose roofs have burned incense to all the hosts of heaven and poured out drink offerings to their God. What does Jeremiah the prophet say about this land, about Jerusalem, about this people? That it is to be broken. That its purpose had been fulfilled or was to be fulfilled. It was coming to an end. That forever word, the everlasting, the ages lasting, that age was coming to an end. All right, Jonathan. Well, what about all the passages that talk about restoration? All these passages talk about restoration to the land. Well, let's look at those. The restoration of the land falls into two categories. That which happens after the Babylonian captivity. Remember, they're taken away by Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus the Great. We've studied this uh, in an uh, excellent class that Trey led us through, looking at uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And we saw that captive, the captive people come back. There was a remnant, notice, a remnant, not the whole nation. Because if it was the whole nation, well then Jeremiah the prophet would be wrong. Jeremiah the prophet, by the word of God, said it will be broken like a potter's vessel. So we see these restoration passages in two lights. That of the restoration of a remnant to the physical land of Israel. And that of an establishment of a spiritual Israel, which is what we miss so often an establishment of the spiritual Israel, and that spiritual Israel is the church. Let's turn and look at a couple of passages. The ones that were to be restored were those that were keeping the law. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Let's look in verses uh, 1 through 10. It shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I've set before you, you shall call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, according to all that I commanded you today, you and your children with you, and all your heart and all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord God has scattered you. We're talking about an idea of a restoration, but who is being restored? It's not the whole nation. It's those that follow after God, those that pattern themselves after the law that was given to them. It wasn't to be the wholesale nation of Israel that had been taken and dispersed among everyone, that they were coming back to take the land. It was those that followed after God. And we saw that whenever we uh, had Cyrus the Great, we had Ezra, we had Nehemiah, we had these great men of faith come back and restore the land. These are men that, and women that are following after God. When we read of the stories that they get back to the land, notice what they do first. They set up the ordinances. They set up their nation just as God would have had them have. So those that are following after God are the ones that come back, that are in the restoration. We're going to begin to shift to this idea of the spiritual. Those that are to be restored in these restoration passages are those that our spiritual Israel. Those that are spiritual Israel help us fulfill this all nations of the earth shall be blessed promise. Remember that promise from the very beginning of Genesis. Genesis uh, chapter 12, look in verse 2, or excuse me, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, curse him who curses you, and in you all the nations, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is not a national return. That was a remnant return to take over physical land of Israel. And that land was fulfilled. That restoration promise of physical Israel coming back was already fulfilled. Isaiah chapter two and verse two: It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. How do we rectify all of these passages that say that Jerusalem will be broken like a potter's vessel, that the nation of Israel be broken like a potter's vessel, yet the word of the Lord will come from Jerusalem. How do we rectify those? Well, Jesus. There's someone that came out of the physical nation of Israel. And through him, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. Let's get into this in just, uh, for a little bit. All nations of the earth shall be blessed spiritually. Acts chapter 2 and verse 17 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall see dreams. The last days, this end of the age, this idea of the age lasting coming to an end is the end of the Mosaic system. It is the end of God using the nation of Israel, the physical people, descendants of Abraham in order to do his work. Because the whole time God knew that the whole promise would be for spiritual Israel. That He would no longer rely on one people in one place. That salvation is now for all. Which is such a beautiful thing. Because looking around, uh, looking into our ancestral history, very few of us would be Jewish. And we can thank God for that. That we can have an ability to come to Him through Jesus the Christ. So, who are um, God's chosen people? I mentioned Romans chapter 9 and verse 6. Romans chapter 9 and verse 6. Let's read this. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. Notice that. It's not that the word of God has any fault in it. It's not that the promises of God have any fault in it. And Paul explains himself in the next verse or in the next uh, sentence. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. What does that mean? They're not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. Paul is calling these people children. He's calling them Israel. But notice what he's not calling them. He's not saying it's because they're descendants of Abraham. It's not because they're children of Isaac or Jacob or coming from the 12 tribes. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son, and not this only, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children had not yet been born, not having done any good or evil. Skipping down, Jacob I have loved, Esau I I have hated. Verse 14, What shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. God is not slack in His promise, Paul is telling us. Paul's point there, if you read on, and really you can read the whole book of Romans, is that the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had a first shot at salvation. And then it was opened up to the Gentiles. And then we've done away with this idea of Jews and Gentiles, and no longer do we have to rely on our heritage to be saved. We can enter into salvation through Jesus, through God's Son and be part of his seed. The elect are those, uh, the elect are now have what Israel sought for. Flip over to uh, Romans chapter 11 and verse 7. What then? A favorite question of Paul's. Saying, look at everything that I've laid out for you. Apply this argument. Israel has not obtained what it seeks. What did Israel seek? Remember what, the Pharisees and Sadducees were, were asking Jesus for, what the apostles were asking Jesus for. When are you going to set up the land? When are you going to restore the kingdom? And every single time he says, you're missing the point. That's not what I'm here to do. That has all been fulfilled. God's special people is not Abraham's people anymore. God's special people are those who follow after me, Christ is saying. God's special people is those who are adamantly seeking him and doing what Christ and God tell them to do. Israel has not obtained what it seeks. They're not going to get what they want. But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Paul goes on to say in in verse 11, uh, talks about that Israel's rejection is not final. That the nation, yes, they've rejected Christ, but individually, there's still hope for, those individual people, even if they are. It, we're not discounting that children of Abraham can be saved. They can most certainly be saved, but it's not the way that they were thinking in Jesus' day. They can be saved if they come to Christ. All Israel shall be saved, he says in Romans chapter 9, and verse 6. But he says that not all are Israel who are of Israel, who are descendant of Israel. I put up there, so indicates a how or manner. Um, in some translations, you'll see uh, verse uh, 26 of Romans chapter 11. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. What that does not mean is that all Israel, because they are Israel, will be saved. That says, here's the manner in which Israel can be saved. So indicates the how or the manner in which something happens. And so, in this manner, all Israel will be saved. There's a deliverer that came out of Zion, Jesus. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That's talking about Jesus there. We talked about the idea of uh, inward versus outward in our Bible class this morning. All who are Israel is ones who are responding to the Deliverer, Jesus the Christ. All Israel is the inward Jew, the one who circumcises their heart, rather than circumcising the flesh. We're shifting from physical and fleshly to spiritual. And that was Jesus' entire message. Those who circumcise their heart are those that can be called a new Israel, the new elect, the new chosen people of God. Romans chapter 2 and verse 29 tells us. Now uh, Let's look in verse 28. Romans chapter 2 and verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and a circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. That's the beginning of Paul's letter to the Romans, and he's setting out this thesis through the Spirit that is saying that, yes, we'll call them Jews. Yes, we'll call you Israel, because you're a fulfillment of the physical people of Israel, that everyone can now enter into this. Finally, I want to notice the hopes of Israel. What was the hope of Israel? Go to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, uh, we'll look in verse 20. For this reason I have called you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel I am bound for this chain. What is the hope of Israel there? Why is Paul bound? The hope of Israel was salvation, the hope of Israel was restoration. The hope of Israel was the fulfillment of all of the promises that God made to Abraham. And Paul says it's because of those hopes that he's in chains. Well, Paul's in chains because of Christianity. Paul is in chains because he was preaching Christ and him crucified. Yet he says that that's the hope of Israel. He, he's taking what the Jews want to believe and twisting it to what is actually true. I shouldn't say twisting, so we'll say unwinding, unraveling to what is actually true. Same thing we see in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 and verse 6, And now I stand and am am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Remember, Paul is a Jew. He had every right to those promises. To this promise are twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. The Jews wanted that land to be restored. Jesus said, that's not the way this is working. The Jews wanted to have their nation great. And Jesus came along and said, it's not a physical nation that I'm giving you. I am your deliverer. I am your king. I am your Messiah. But that's not what I'm giving you. You've looked at it the wrong way. And Paul says here that it's for that hope. And he ties it all the way back to the promise made to Abraham. It's for that hope that he stands before Agrippa, accused by the Jews. So, who are God's chosen people? At one point in time, it was the nation of Israel. But we notice that that age has come and been done away with. God has no miraculous special dealings with the nation of Israel anymore, though they still call themselves the nation of Israel. The chosen people of God are those of the elect, the elect of God is those who have put on circumcision of the heart. Those that have followed after what Christ has told us to do in believing, repenting, being baptized, following and patterning themselves after Christ. That is who can be called now Israel, spiritual Israel. The promises including the physical land and the nation of Israel have all been fulfilled. Those were fulfilled in Joshua chapter 21. When they took the land, that promise made to Abraham was fulfilled. There was passages that talk about a restoration. That restoration has already come to pass. The land was restored with those who followed after God, left uh, Cyrus uh, in uh, Persia and came and reestablished a small remnant. But Jeremiah has told us that the nation was broken. It was supposed to be broken like a vessel. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's open our Bibles there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. To be part of God's chosen family, you have to be called by the gospel. To be part of God's chosen family, His new chosen people, there is a way that you can enter into that. Um, Let me get to 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2 and verse 14, let's read together. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold fast then, hold the traditions which you were taught, the teachings, the doctrines which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle, and we know that that is all coming from God via the Spirit to these teachers. If you're wanting to be a part of God's chosen family, you have to be called by the gospel. Now under the New Covenant, we have the option to be Jew or Gentile. And in those two terms, all nations are present there. Uh, When we're reading through uh, those of us that might be unfamiliar with those terms, Jew or Gentile, Jew would be those who are Abraham's people, as we've discussed. But Gentile would be everyone else. And through Christ, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, we read. Those terms have been done away with which is such a great and awesome thing. So who are God's chosen people, we'll ask. God's chosen people is us today. Those of us that have put on Christ. Those of us that have put on Christ and have been baptized into His blood, have our sins washed away, and raised a new man to walk the newness of life. That is God's chosen people. So be wary when people are saying things such as... um, It hasn't been restored yet. The land promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. We're still looking for these things. Hopefully, I've shown pretty clearly this morning that in Joshua, that was fulfilled. The restoration verses that many people will often bring up was fulfilled when the remnant went back with Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So let us not be fooled by false doctrine. There's a lot of it out there. The way that we can combat false doctrine is by reading the Word, studying the Word, asking questions, being inquisitive, praying to God, but always being in His Word. Who are God's chosen people? It is those that are the elect, those that are saints, those that have chosen to follow after God. That is such a great and marvelous blessing we have. The way that we can enter into that is if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The way that you enter into this new kingdom that's set up. It's not a physical kingdom. We're not going to sit here for a thousand years and, and... on the physical earth with, with Jesus on the throne. That will not happen. But what we have promised to us is an everlasting kingdom, being a part of the church, being a part of the universe. Come forward in just a moment when we stand and sing. You can find any one of us after our services. Please come talk to us. If I have said anything this morning that you question, please come talk to me. I'd be happy to answer questions. If there's anything we can do for anyone this morning, I beg you come while we stand and while we sing the song that has been selected.